Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Today's guest is Daphne Valson, the founder of Daphne Valson Coaching. Daphne is a career and business coach and professional keynote speaker who has been featured on Forbes.com and Voyage Magazine. She's been doing this work for more than a decade. Daphne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So uh, I'm excited to have you on because, uh, man, talking to somebody else about uh, startups and entrepreneurship, uh, that's basically all I do all day long. So <laughs> this, this is like uh, uh, compatriots here at this point. But uh, before we get into all of that, can you give me just a couple of minutes about your background and what got you to where you are today? Sure. I am first-generation American, born to two um, Haitian immigrants, um, a mother of two, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. Um, and I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, but currently live outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and what got me to where I am today is I've always been someone who loved to help individuals, but I've also been a big problem solver. Um, I often joke with my husband about how I was in future problem solvers in elementary school. I'm like, future problem solvers. <laughs> so um, the way that that translated is my background is in education and in public relations. I realized I had a passion in tapping into the power of people um, and their potential and the potential of their ideas. And so eventually I found myself becoming a certified life coach. Um, and along the way, realized that um, I'm most passionate about executive coaching, so career advancement, whether it's in career or business. Okay, okay. Um, growing up, I gotta ask, growing up in Miami must have been just incredible. Um, how often were you at the beach? So in elementary school, I feel like we were at the beach maybe three or four times a year. And that's then it? So like, that's it. Then middle school and high school, I, I think when people came to visit us, um, for about a town, we went to the beach occasionally. <laughs> so we were hardly there. And once I got married, um, my husband, um, I got married in 2014. He is always wanting to be at the beach whenever we are visiting Miami. Is this one of those things like when you work in an ice cream sh store, you never want to have ice cream? So when you live by yeah. the beach, you're like, eh, over the beach. Is that is that what yeah. it is? Yeah. Yes, it is. And I didn't even know until after I moved away from home after college um, that there's a beach 15 minutes from the house I was raised in. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. It was this hidden beach that you didn't know about. It was just there. Yeah. So when you were growing up, um, was there anything that you did entrepreneurial? Like, did you do little side hustles? Like, what's the first entrepreneurial thing that you remember that you did? I did. And it wasn't until a few years into business that I realized that this was a kind of a big deal. But 
I was in high school. I was in the marching band as a flag captain. And our parents were very busy. And, you know, there were a number of households where money was not always readily available. So I started a rice krispie treat business. Um, I determined how many rice krispie treats I needed, how much we would sell them for. I created accounts for all of the girls who were on the flag squad in auxiliary. Everyone had an envelope. I called them every few weeks to update them on their account status. Um, I created a fundraising script for everyone. I had us travel into like wealthier neighborhoods. This all by ourselves without any grownups. Um, so we traveled into certain neighborhoods. We knocked on doors. We had our fundraising script. I trained them on how to communicate that, how to communicate. People said, no, we were outside of grocery stores on the street. And so we were able to raise money, um, at least $400 each person who wanted to go to band camp. We raised money for uniforms. But I didn't even realize that this was like a huge thing that I was buying, distributing, um, keeping track of these accounts, calling them. I just created it all in my mind. But I didn't realize until a few years ago that that was like an important part of my entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Um, so that's so interesting. So, uh, so I was an orchestra person growing up and we had to do the fundraisers too, but we had these candy bars that you had to sell. Um, and here's the downfall of, I think you did it right. Here's the downfall of candy bars. They are so tempting as a kid to eat. I can't tell you how much of, of the profits I ended up eating instead of selling. Whereas Rice Krispie Treats, I don't know, the allure isn't as much because it's not chocolate, right? So you probably had less, uh, you know, what they call nowadays in, in retail shrinkage, uh, less shrinkage with Rice Krispie Treats than you did candy bars. So I think you did it the right way. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, was there anybody else in the family that was an entrepreneur? Uh, growing up that so, you got to see do their thing? No, but my mom, I learned. So her grandmother used to sell items in Haiti in the market uh -huh. and have my mother help her to sell and collect the cash. So I realized that my mom had some entrepreneurial, like had an entrepreneurial spirit as well, but I never nice. saw her do the entrepreneurial thing. Oh, that's nice. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, okay, so uh, you're kind of going through things and uh, and you said you've had this company now for as long as you've been married. Um, explain, like, how did this whole thing happen? Like, how, how did you decide to, to go into being a life coach versus doing, I don't know, Rice Krispie treat sales for the rest of your life? Like, <laughs> like, 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 what happened? How did this happen? That's true. That could have been an opportunity there. But um, in 2013, I was actually hoping to get my MBA. My dream was to go to University of Virginia, Darwin School of Business. Um, and I was applying to NYU, Columbia. So I wanted to try to get into a top MBA school. I took my GMAT three times. Um, the last time I took it, got the score I wanted that I thought was going to help to get me in. I was networking. I was doing all the right things. Took a problem class for $700. Um, and then I met my husband during the time, yay, during the time that I was studying for this MBA and realized that he was more of a person who kind of likes to settle in. He was living in Lake Worth, Florida. Um, I believe that he wanted to stay there for a long time, not the kind of person to just pick up and go and move somewhere else, um, to do something way different. So I thought maybe I wanted to re- kind of rethink my goals. Um, yeah. He was also someone who I think may benefited from a lot of quality time, not like first year of marriage, 
uh, me being in an MBA program. Right. So I decided that instead of doing that MBA, I was going to try to do something else that would grow well with me and possibly a family, possibly children in the future. Um, so I thought, what would that look like? And uh, I realized that with life coaching, I had a number of people, three different people who I respected in my life say that they thought I should be a life coach. I didn't know what it was for the, when the first person said it. I'm like, that sounds nice, whatever that is. Thank you for the compliment. She called me a life coach. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then um, a mentor who said, hey, I think I really think you need it for being a life coach. And then a colleague who said, I'm doing a life coach certification. I think you should come with me to the training. You get to come for free. And I was like, no, thanks. Um, I just didn't think I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But all things led to me realizing that my past was tapping into the potential of people and their ideas and putting that together would be in life coaching. And then I went on the journey of figuring out what does it look like to launch a life coach business and what kind of coach would I be? Um, so that's kind of where I started. Yeah. Um, so that, that's interesting um, that, that you kind of made that, that switch in that journey. When you were applying for your MBA, what was your thought of what you were going to do after the MBA? So my dream was to work at Deloitte um, <laughs> and I had met someone. So I'm very much like, I'm going to, I'm going to plan it and it's going to happen. That's how I, that's how I was, especially before kids now I'm not open, but <laughs> before that I was like, I want to work for Deloitte. And then I was at a wedding a few months before um, I took my GMAT the last time met someone who worked at Deloitte and he was like, Daphne, when you are ready to work at Deloitte, you let me know. And I was like, yes, everything's falling into place. Um, so I was hoping to work at Deloitte and do something in human capital uh, that, you know, in, in the Deloitte system somewhere as I found my way after yeah. getting my MBA. That was my, that was my initial dream. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I mean, it wasn't even just like a specific job that you wanted. It was like this company, this job done. Um, that that is uh, super focused, and I don't think I hear that that often on this podcast. Um, okay, so uh, you get derailed uh, somewhat. Now you've been doing this for quite some time, so it was a good derailment, uh, I take it. Um, but when you were starting out, was there anything that made you nervous about going out and doing this on your own? And and what was that? Yes, so. What made me nervous is I am what the Kobe Springs assessment labels as a fact finder. So uh -huh. I like to research. I like best practices. I like to know what was done before and how it was done well and what I should do differently. So I interviewed a whole bunch of people who were life coaches about their experience, as well as some business consultants. And there were some people who said, don't be a life coach. You're not going to make any money. It's just not a good idea. I understand what you're trying to do, but don't do it. There were others who said, um, you are not going to get any clients like life coaching when you're getting trained teaches you possibilities are endless. Anything you want, you can, you know, get it. But the person was like, but in real life though, life coaches don't really get that many clients. So it's, it's just not wise to do. And then I had never ran a business formally at that point. I had been in the background in a number of different organizations not ran all the aspects of the business. So hearing those things was made me a little hesitant, but at the same time, I also saw some successful coaches. And I'm a big believer in what one of my one of my old coaches, um, Danielle Jervie Hartman, what she said, she said, success leaves tracks. 
And so in knowing that some people have done this and have been successful, I tried to also study what are they doing that maybe I can also do to be successful. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. So um, in terms of the, those folks that were telling you like, hey, don't do this because you can't really get clients. Um, do you still see those people uh, being life coaches or have they moved on? That is a good question. So one was a business consultant and, you know, I, don't, I haven't talked to him since then. The other, huh, I don't think, let me think about this. Oh, yes. I think I did talk to her um, last year. She is still a coach. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how she is doing um, <laughs> as a coach, but still a coach. Um, yeah. And the thing with coaches is that you could, you could, do all kinds of different things. You can work for a company as an employee, right? Who's a coach. You could have contracts that kind of give you 20 or 30 clients where maybe you're being paid a regular wage that may not be as much as you would if you were a solely entrepreneur. So I think the person is still a coach, but not sure how many clients. Like right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. I, I wonder if some of that advice is because of their own kind of experience and maybe they just are not that good at selling themselves and having a hard time finding, finding, uh, clients. Um, uh, anyways, we'll move on from them, uh, because we want to talk about you. Uh, so, and talk about uh, starting this business. So in, in the beginning, it's been how many years now that you've been doing this uh, at this point? Over nine years, nine, Over years. nine years. So mm-hmm. rough and rocky in the beginning, I imagine. Um, what were the the biggest challenges that you faced uh, in those early days? Finding clients was obviously one of them. Um, wh- what did you do to find clients? Good questions. Um, I made seventy two dollars my first month in business. Seventy two dollars. Seventy two. That's it. Yeah, I thought I was going to have a a barrage of clients come my way as soon as I opened my door, <laughs> but um, I had to make seventy two dollars. And then what, was that one that client was, or was that, that was one client? That was one yeah, client. And that wasn't, I was, yeah, that wasn't good. So $72. <laughs> and then it was like, did, did they pay $72 again the next month or was it a one and done? Yeah, it was 72, $72. I think at that point I had a two month package. Ooh, so yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that. Uh, and then what ended up happening was the week that I launched, I did, I made one post on social media. Okay. No one booked any session from that, any discovery session, any consultation. Then I made another post later that week and I had over 20 people book consultations. Okay. Um, and then I had over half say that they wanted to move forward and I had only one actually move forward. Wow. And here's, here's why, here's why. I didn't know how to sell myself. I didn't know how to market my services. I knew how to do a great consultation and blow it out of the water and allow people to feel empowered and uh, feel like they were equipped to succeed. But I didn't know how to help them understand what was the next step for them to take for us to work together and right. for me to follow through with the next step. So sometimes people say yes. And I was like, okay, I'll send you the information. And I sent it to them two weeks after, which is way too late. And I'm not, not like I had a whole bunch of stuff to do, right? But I was scared. I think I was really scared uh-huh. and overwhelmed. And it took me a long time. And by that time, people didn't respond. I probably didn't even ask them to respond. I was like, here's yeah. the information. So sales issue with closing, how to close a sale on a, in a conversation and also a marketing issue. 
what how do I message what specifically I do for the people I serve? Yeah. Um, where my biggest issues. Well, what do you think you were scared about uh, in terms of sending that stuff? That that you priced it wrong, you priced it high, you priced it low, you, you didn't know what you were doing. Like, what was the issue? Yeah, it was probably all of the above. Did I price it too low? Did I price it too high? Um, maybe even, is it bad that I'm sending this person prices for like impacting their lives? Like, is that even appropriate? Um, what will they think of me? Yeah. Uh, are, is this the right way to send packages? Are these the right packages? Like all of those questions were probably yeah. swirling in my mind. Did, did you think about, um, I don't want to see too, seem too needy to send it right away. Was that one of the things? I see that a lot of times that people wait to send something because I want to make it look like I'm busy. And so I don't want to send it right away, like two minutes right after we get off the call. Yeah, I don't know if that was me, but I do feel like I probably felt overwhelmed yeah. like, after. Like, I don't want to send this right now. I need to go clean something in the house <laughs> <laughs> instead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's that um, scared of your own success type of thing or scared of what happens next because you've never done it before. Um, and I think the thing that I talk about a lot of times on this podcast is it's everybody's first time at some point. You see all these other people that are just, doing great, getting things done, whatever. At some point, they also were doing this for the first time and had no idea, just like the rest of us. So uh, you're not alone. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. Uh, okay. So, um, you've got this, this business, you launch it. Um, you just gotten married. How are you managing the stress of this and only making $72 your first month, um, with all the other stuff, all of life's needs and desires and requirements of bills and married life and things like that. How are you managing all of that? That is a great question. Um, one of the things that I did was make a commitment to working, doing something else. So my side job was tutoring. So I tutored on the side while I was trying to grow my business. Uh-huh. And I think part of that drive to do that and to bring in a certain amount of income from tutoring was my immigrant background. My dad, the way he was when I was talking about volunteering in high school, he was about to volunteer. My dad was like, why not get a job? Why not work? Why not work to make money volunteering? And I'm like, yeah. So then he always like kind of emphasized, if you can work, you should be working. Yeah. So as I was growing my business, I felt, even though my husband didn't put this on me, but a responsibility to somehow bring in a good amount of money to be able to pay my, co my college loans, to pay like gas, to pay health insurance. My husband does not think like that. He's like, don't worry, you know, I should be able to support us and da, da. But I felt like I needed to be contributing substantially to our household. So I even took a 20-hour-a-week tutoring position um, about seven months into me starting my business. Uh -huh. And I made a personal commitment to try not to have that position any longer after that June, which I didn't. I didn't have to continue after that June. Um, okay. So, yeah. So I tried to manage it that way. And then I also, six months into 
launching my business, wanted to just stop it and go back to work. <laughs> because I'm like, I have this education. I have some credentials. I need to just go to work. Maybe I was wrong in launching this business. I was only bringing in probably around $600 a month at that point, six months into having my business. My husband actually said, no, this is something you said you wanted to do. And how long do you think you need before you're bringing in the income that you want? I said, maybe six months. And then he said, well, take that time, keep doing what you're doing. So I continued my business, but I was ready to pivot back into just working full time. And that next month is when I got that 20 hour a week supreme position. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. So uh, it was really uh, thanks to your husband that you didn't pull the plug on that a little bit too early, huh? Yes. Thanks to my husband. Huh. <laughs> interesting. I mean, look, it, it's, it's important to have a support structure around you as an entrepreneur because um, it is a lonely job a lot of times and it's, it's hard uh, doing this job. So uh, let's talk about like, uh, you know, personal demands of other things. Like, how do you think about setting boundaries and dealing with uh, setting aside time? You've got two kids that are young. You've got friends and family. Like work can bleed into basically everything. You could give this job as much time as you have and, and are willing to give to it. So how do you make sure you've got those boundaries in between all of those things that are necessary to keep you sane and work? Great question. One of my uh, coaches said, when I have my first child, do work and spend time with my child, not at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> that was such a good advice. She was a mom of a grown child, right? And so um, and after I had a baby, I understood what she said. I even tried initially to listen to podcasts on headphones with my little baby. And as soon as she could, she removed my headphones from my ear. It, it did not work out. So uh, the way that I learned to do it, when I first had my baby, my first baby, I went from working about 60 hours a week on my business to working 12 hours. I did not know anything about babies. I didn't have any babies around me growing up. I didn't babysit anybody's babies. So I had no idea that it took so much time and energy. So I went to 12 hours and then I scaled up to 25 hours. I stayed at 25 hours for, I think, about a year or two in my business. So what I had to learn how to do was how do I take what I did in 60 hours and put it in 25 hours? What that looked like was what are all the extra things that I did not need to be doing? So one year, my phrase for the year was nice, but not necessary. What is nice for business? but not necessary because I don't need to be doing it because I don't have time. <laughs> so I had to reduce what was not as necessary for me to do to be able to spend time with my children. When they were babies, they gave me no choice. Like it was like I gave them attention or it was going to be a problem. <laughs> and then as they got older, it's I give you attention or I see kind of, you know, my children maybe pushing back, maybe more stress, uh, maybe not feeling as happy or joyful or at peace. So now I try to keep my work within work hours, 8.30 to around 2-ish, 2.30-ish. And then I also might do some work on my speech and administrative work in in the evenings. I don't do any weekend coaching sessions. I don't do any evening coaching sessions, but I will sneak some administrative stuff in after they go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And and, uh, babies are probably the most important startup 
uh, that any of us have to deal with. So, um, and you're absolutely right. The, your phrase, nice, but, uh, but not necessary. Everything with babies is necessary. <laughs> it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what it is. It yeah. is, it, it is definitely a thing. Um, okay. So, you know, you've been doing this now coming up on a decade, which is awesome. Uh, a lot of people don't make it to that, that time length. Um, but now you've got a history of being able to look back and think about uh, all the things that you've been through and things that you've done. If you could go back in time and do something differently, what is that thing that you would do differently and why? I think what I would have done differently is hire a coach sooner. And here's what I mean by that, because I didn't have any money at first to be spending on any coach. $72. Yeah. (laughs) $72. But even if I started working with someone from score.org, they have free business consultants um, who are volunteers or someone from the small business development center, they have paid business consultants. They're paid by the small business administration, but they're free to you. But starting to work with someone who is able and willing to give me the specific things that I needed to be doing on a regular basis. And then just trying to figure out how to vet that person to make sure they were the right person to do that. I would have done that. And, or I would have participated in an accelerator. I didn't know anything about business accelerator programs. I love being students. So I would have loved learning. I probably would have done loads of research to find an accelerator that also had an investment in my company. And I would have been able to learn and get the investment at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that there's, I mean, I'm sure there are, there's accelerators for people that are launching essentially service companies like what you've got. Um, I've always kind of noticed and known about the ones that are kind of pure play startup tech um, accelerators, but I'm sure there's accelerators for everything uh, out there. Yes, there are. One of my clients was, um, or actually is a doula and has been a part of feel like a number of accelerators at this point and some come with coaches so she's really? also had some additional um coaches that have been able to to support her based on her being in that accelerator oh wow that's cool mm-hmm. um okay so uh in in terms of and, and you mentioned this before you you squeeze down 60 hours worth of stuff into 25 by getting rid of kind of the unnecessary stuff uh that you were doing uh to this day now, do you use any kind of technology, apps, systems that helps you manage all of this stuff? And if so, like, is there one or two that you're like, oh, if I didn't have this, work would be hard? Yes, there are a number of apps that I love. My top two are Wayback and Trello. So Trello is a system, it's a project management system, but I use it as my kind of like a customer relationship management system. And what I mean by that is all of the people who are prospective clients or who are current clients and what I'm projected to make in revenue based on different client packages, I keep track of that all in Trello. If I meet someone in there really interested in coaching, I would place their information within Trello and I would place in the comments or I would place a deadline, label, Um, just information that's associated with that client. So when I was growing my business the most, when I was really trying to grow sales, Uh I was in Trello every single day, moving people around. Okay, they're more engaged now. Move them along in the pipeline here. Okay, this person is committed. Let me go ahead and put the deadline in for when they're 
contract needs to be signed. So Trello is one. And then Wayback's allows me to see how much money am I bringing in this month? How much money did I bring in last month? How much money did I bring in for the year? How on track am I when it comes to my goals? What invoices are outstanding? All that kind of stuff. But it helps me to see big picture how my business is doing and also how I'm spending. Um, so my profitability when it comes to my business as well, which is important to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I love both of those tools. Wave apps uh, is fantastic. It's free uh, and you can just hook it in. And if you're not really great about accounting, uh, it really does make it easy. Um, at some level, uh, hopefully of revenue, you get to a point where it's like, okay, I need to hand this over to somebody else and they'll they'll move you to some other more professional accounting system. But Wave, at Wave apps is such a great place to start. Uh, and Trello is just great too. Um, okay, so you've been talking to people for a long time in life coaching, thinking about entrepreneurs. Um, if you were talking to somebody who's thinking about launching a side hustle, uh, which is essentially what you did because you had two side hustles then, right? You were doing the teaching thing and then also this to make it all work, um, or taking their side hustle and launching it into a full-time business, which is what you did as well. Uh, what advice would you give them? My advice would be to evaluate what your minimum expenses are and be sure to transition, in my opinion, um, transition from your full-time job to your side hustle when your side hustle is providing you with the revenue that you need to meet your minimum expenses. Here's why. In my case, I didn't do that because I moved to Florida right before I got married. Um, and so essentially I was launching my business around the same time I got married, June 20th, left my job, June 23rd, business launched, website set up, bank account set up, uh, July, moved to Florida. I think it was July. Yep. Two weeks before I got married. And then the rest is history. So I had to move and move from my job as I launched my business. But what that meant was if there's a conference or if there's a training to attend or if there's someone who could work on my website, I didn't have the additional funds to invest in a training or a conference or a coach or whatever it was, a travel yeah. to go somewhere unless I got debt, which is which is cool. That's all another conversation. Um, and I did get some, got my business credit card, but I'm very conservative in spending. Mm -hmm. So I bootstrapped my business and as money came in, I spent more. Um, however, if you do it the other way, you have your job and then you're launching your side hustle and you only pivot into your side hustle once it's meeting those minimum expenses, you'll have more capital to be able to invest in your business, in my opinion. So that is one big piece of advice that I would give um, for those who kind of just want to you know, make the leap, make the jump. It also allows you to test your business and validate your idea that it actually will produce revenue before you pop yeah. directly all into it. Yeah. The, the part that I love about your story is you didn't wait for the perfect time to do everything. Uh, everything just kind of all happened at once and you figured out and how to make it work. And I think that's true for most entrepreneurs is there is almost never a perfect time to do that new company. You just got to do it. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be just a mess of stuff and you're, you're going to figure it out. And, and you did figure it out, um, which is great. Okay. Uh, one last question for you. Um, since you are a life coach, you probably see the same problem happening over and over again 
with founders or, or you know, people that are wanting to be founders. What is that problem and how can people that are listening avoid or deal with that problem better so that when they try to launch, they're, they're in a better spot than they would have been? Hmm. There are two that I'm thinking of that are really I'll good. take two. I said okay. one, but I'll take two. <laughs> okay, great. Big one is fear. And I know it sounds cliche, but here's the thing. If you have too much fear, you can create an amazing app. You have a great app idea. Create the amazing app, but never launch it. But never beta test it. Because you're afraid of how people might respond to it. You're afraid of what people might say about you. So I see that for all kinds of businesses. People are very afraid to put themselves out there. They'll work on it by themselves. But when it's time to launch, they will not launch. Um, or when it's time to market, they will not market or they will not reach out to people for business development, for sales because of fear. So that I think is a big one. And then the other biggest one, in my opinion, is the ability to pivot. So problem solving. If it's not working, whatever it is, you could be trying to sell t-shirts. Again, you could be trying to launch an app. You could be trying to launch a consulting business. If you're seeing that there's a problem, there, um, no one is buying what you're selling. Uh, your marketing, for some reason, is not getting enough engagement. Um, you're not getting enough return on your investment. Your profitability is super low. Your ability to pivot as quickly as possible um, through problem solving and changing, I think, can really determine your, your business success as well. So fear and being able to pivot. I love that. I love that. Um, Daphne, this has been a fantastic conversation. Where can our listeners find and connect with you online? The best three places are Instagram. Uh, my name is my handle, Daphne Valson, or LinkedIn. Uh, again, my name, Daphne Valson. You can find me there and my website, which is DaphneValson.com. Those are the best three places to find me. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit Hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit Hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. You can find out more about me at my website, sanjayparik.com.